Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. I haven't even gotten around to preaching, and already I get a standing ovation. That's, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, Jeff, could you stand up for a minute? You have to explain to us. Uh, you, we, you usually have a T-shirt with an inspirational message on it, but you... Well, I do. Trump won. No? (laughs) No, no. So, do you call that something? Is it a missionary? um... Uh, I don't know. Okay. I I know a plumber that could use that. Oh, you do? Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah, good. Good. Anyway, welcome to North Sound. Good to... uh, Good to see you all this morning. Um, I had, ooh, all of a sudden something changed, Kevin. It was better before. <laughs> Thank you. Um, this week, so, so the, the music is long and the sermon's supposed to be short, right? That's the agreement that we have. Somebody in staff meeting this week had the nerve to suggest that the music was long but the sermon wasn't short. Can you, you know, I thought, I thought we recruited a good staff team here, but that was, that was really nervy of them to say that. So this morning we need to be done by, um, what time do we need to be done by? 11. Since when? 11. Um, does anybody want an update on the World Cup? No, no. I, I threatened Roy and Liz with a World Cup update earlier, and uh, boy, they weren't very happy at all. That um, so, um, is it? Is it? Those of you don't don't say any scores or anything. But is it over now? It is over. Dennis, you're nodding. So what I have heard is that it was a really good game, um, and uh, but we won't go any we won't go any farther than that. Um, so anyway. Nice to see you all this morning. Hope you brought your Bibles. And uh, I want to uh, let you know that Evelyn Cross passed away this week. Uh, I don't expect all of you knew Evelyn. She was just an occasional attender, but her daughter Rhonda is a part of our fellowship, and Rhonda works with Club Grub, and uh, so our condolences go out to her. And also, uh, via video, a shout-out to Steve and Joanne in Northwest Hospital, um, Steve was diagnosed with a stroke this week, and then um, where they discovered via MRI that there actually had been several of them, and we were really worried because of Steve's, um, uh, he, he was, uh, he has been nearly blind, and the stroke appears to have taken away what was left, uh, but fortunately he has cochlear ear plants, uh, ear implants, and uh, they're working fine. And so when I visited yesterday, I could to talk to him, and uh, he's uh, doing much better. And we'll be heading to rehab, and then uh, uh, and then home from there. So God bless you guys there in uh, in Northwest Hospital. So we're continuing our series, uh, and uh, it's a series called The Promised One. Once again, a reminder that uh, while we don't have these booklets available for you, which is a devotional guide, we encourage you to, uh, to download it from the website 
And if you get the North Sound News, and perhaps even on the website, there's an opportunity to, uh, to download the book and follow along. You can go back to the beginning if you haven't joined us yet, or you can just begin today. So let me encourage you to uh, consider, uh, consider doing that. We've been talking about the names of Jesus from the Old Testament, and today we're going to be talking about Jesus is the light of the world. Now, by way of introduction... Uh, Barb has done an amazing job with the garden at our house. If you've been to our place, um, you, would, uh, you would have noticed that. And uh, I know not enough of you have been there. Barb and I have to do better in the new year, don't we, Barb? Sure. Um, so um, we, uh, we got this house uh, in an interesting way. So we lived in Muckleteo for many years and decided that with North Sound being in downtown Edmonds that it would be nice to move and to be in walking distance. And at that time, Barb was the nurse manager of the uh, UW Cardiology Clinic here in Edmonds, and so it would be convenient for her as well. But we looked, and it's really hard to find a place in Edmonds. This was seven years ago now, but even then it was hard to find a place. So we found this, um, this house, and I can't remember if it was driving down the street or, or you know, looking online or something, but we found that there was a house on A Avenue, and there were two little, littler houses that were there, and they were quite old. I actually think when I looked it up, maybe about 100 years old. But I knew those houses because uh, Dan and Don Rutz and family lived there, and I visited them there. You guys remember that house? Yeah. So we... Uh, so, so I found this place that was for sale, and the individual that was selling it assumed that uh, we would be buying it to have as a rental, but in fact, uh, when we looked at it, and I went out back to the second house, again, these are really small, old, older places, uh, went up on the roof, and I, there was just this tiniest sound view, and it occurred to me that you know, if we actually built here two stories, we would actually have a, a view of the sound. Now, it's not like some of you who have the, you know, 180 degree sound views, but uh, so we ended up, we ended up uh, purchasing the property and then Steve Anderson, who Steve and, and uh, Becky were part of our congregation and uh, Steve ended up uh, building the house for us. And we have, in order to get the best view possible, we had to do a rooftop deck and we have this sort of a spiral staircase outside from one deck to another. Now, um, it's, it's, it's really cool. Now, you're wondering why I'm, why I'm telling you this, right? It's like, well, that's nice, Pastor Barry, but you know, at Christmas, and why are you telling us about Barb's garden? Well, here's the deal. So when, when we built that, I had visions year-round of being up on that deck, and in the wintertime, I just put a coat on because I just love the water and love looking out and that sort of thing. So I got to tell you, Barb then, you know, went to work in our garden because she had to start from scratch. So she went to work in the garden, and it is now, seven years later, she created this beautiful garden this summer, let alone the winter, this summer, I think I went up to that deck upstairs uh, five times maybe because during COVID, I began to work more from my home office. I have an office at church and an office at home. Began to work more at home. And I got to tell you how wonderful it was to go out back, get one of our Adirondack chairs uh, and uh, a cup of tea and what I was studying, whether that was for a sermon or something else, and be able to just study there in the backyard, it was just wonderful. 
Now again, I, the long story, but the reason for the story is to say that now in December, almost into January, how I miss the warm weather and the sunshine and being able to sit in that backyard and study back there with all of the greenery around. Now I look out the kitchen window and it's dark. It's dark all day. And, it's, and it only gets light about, I don't know, 8.30, and it's dark again about 4 o'clock, but even the whole day is dark, and it's often drizzly and rainy, and that beautiful garden is, is gone. I mean, you know, all the green, there's a few you know, evergreen stuff there, but it's really crummy, and I, I, just, uh, I, I, just, um, I just really miss it. And I realize in the darkness of, of winter, I, I think I've shared with you earlier that in the fall, <clears throat> the Book of Common Prayer has a, uh, a, a prayer that's standard prayer for the fall season leading into Advent, and that is pray for those who fear the winter months. And I can see why people fear the winter months, because it's dark. It's not pleasant. It's not nice. Uh, and, um, and, 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 uh, and, and I have come to understand, I, I, I'm learning slowly not to be critical of people in different stages of life, because as I get there, I realize my perspective may change, right? So one of the things that my perspective is changing a little bit on is those of you that like to go to the sunshine in the wintertime, because it's, yeah, welcome Roger and, and Joni, back this week from Arizona, um, because because of the light and the sunshine, and we are drawn to it, and somehow God made us to be drawn to the light. And lest we think we are victims of some cosmic change of seasons, we have it amazingly well from a historical perspective. Just the last hundred or two years, um, the night was something very serious because Right now, we can flip a light switch and we can turn night into day. We can uh, have a uh, drive on, on the streets because we have lights on our cars. We have street lights to keep us safe to be able to see where we're going. We have flashlights if all else fails. We have readily access to light. So God made us to be drawn to the light and it's little wonder that the passage that we're gonna look at this morning describes Jesus as light from a prophetic Old Testament perspective. Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So Jesus recognized from Isaiah this prophetic mantle that came upon him, and he said this in John 8. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me <clears throat> will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And John, writing about Jesus, said, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we see in the Gospel of John this theme of the contrast between darkness of light. And it meant so much more to people in generations prior to our own for the reasons that I mentioned there's a prayer that goes all the way back, <clears throat> excuse me, all the way back to the Middle Ages, and some of you may have had it prayed over you or with you when you were children, and if you recognize it, I want you to say it with me. Now I lay me down to sleep, 
I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I saw a lot of lips moving out there. You know that one. Well, so when we pray with or for our children or our grandchildren, we might use that prayer. But did you notice the language of that prayer? How, how scary is it for a kid to actually think, if I should die tonight, um, think about that. But the deal is, is that until the last 150 years or so, they genuinely were afraid that they were going, that they might very well die that night because of the nature of darkness and the nature of life during that time. There were a lot of people who died at night, sometimes because of fires uh, that consumed their places, sometimes because of, of, of thievery and murder and abuse, because it was so dark that at night there was this heavy fear. Roger Eckert studied what night meant to people in the past. And uh, I, I want to read you a section from his, uh, from his book. He said, Night brutally robbed men and women of their vision, the most treasured of human senses. None of the sights, <clears throat> none of the uh, sister senses, not even hearing or touch, permitted individuals such mastery over their environs. Well, early modern communities not so dependent upon personal interaction, the power of sight would have been less critical. But these were small-scale, traditional societies in which face-to-face -face encounters predominated in rural as well as urban settings. After dark, with families forced to defend for themselves, yet deprived of the protection of sight, threats to body and soul multiplied. When else but in the black of night might evil thrive unmolested, unbridled by the customary restraints of the visible world? Here never shines the sun of discipline, moaned Thomas Middleton. At night, aloud Dame Sarah Cowper, I pray God Almighty to keep me from ye power of evil spirits and of evil men, from fearful dreams and terrifying imaginations, from fire and all sad accidents, so many mischief I know of, and doubtless more I know not of. He continues, poor visibility at night, coupled with dangerous terrain, was a recipe for disaster. Numerous were the times, remarked a 17th century writer, Isaac Watts, when travelers have been betrayed by the thick shadows of the night. In Aberdeenshire, a 15-year-old girl died in 1739 after straying from her customary path through a churchyard <clears throat> and tumbling into a newly dug grave. The Yorkshireman Arthur Jessop, returning from a neighbor's home on a cold December evening, fell into a stone pit after losing his bearings. Friends, Jesus' audience, when these words were first uttered, would have understood the profound nature, the absolute darkness of night, and the power of light shining into that darkness in a way that we really probably can't quite understand as well today. And while the fear of darkness was very real, it was also a metaphor for another kind of darkness. We read now in John 3, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone <clears throat> who does wicked uh, hates the light and does not come to the light 
so its works will be, uh, not be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it might be seen that his works have been carried out in God. On Sunday afternoon, a Sunday afternoon after 9-11, a, a small Coast Guard boat came to the Coast Guard base at Staten Island, New York, and picked up a Catholic priest Navy chaplain and a Protestant Navy chaplain, and I was with them, and we, we got onto the small boat that was taking us out to the U.S. Coast Guard cutter Tahoma, which is a 270-foot patrol vessel. And it was staged off the lower part of Manhattan, uh, where the uh, World Trade Center had been impacted, because we didn't know what was going to happen next. We didn't know if we needed air defense from the ships uh, in the harbor or what kind of threat there might be. So we <clears throat> got on board the Tahoma and the Catholic priest did a service, a mass on the mess decks, and the Protestant chaplain did a service in the wardroom. And afterwards, we were getting back on the small boat to take us back to Staten Island and the guys on the small boat that were our transport were in a position much like the folks on the larger cutter. There was a fear. There, there, was, a, there was a darkness in the land because if you remember the anxiety immediately following, we wondered what was going to happen next. And so one of the crew of the small boat said, Chaplain, do you have a word for us? Chaplain, do you have a word for us? And so the priest offered a prayer, and then my friend Brian Haley, who was the Protestant chaplain, shared a word of hope with them in the context of the darkness. And I have a clip, it's about, I don't know, 30 seconds or so that I took in that moment. I want you to listen to what he says about darkness and light. for the sound, not a uh, Steven Spielberg uh, movie, obviously. What Brian said to the crew was dark deeds were done here. Dark deeds were done here. In John 8, again, we read, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus brought with him a way out of the darkness. We follow the light to the cross. We follow the light to our individual confession and repentance. And we follow the light into the very place where we ourselves are to let our light shine. 
Matthew 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light in all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What does it mean to let our light shine before others, to walk as children of light? Paul tells us that the fruit of our lives The light is the fruit of our lives. And we let our light shine before others when we engage in what is good and right and true. He says, walk as children of light. Paul does. Excuse me. In uh, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So as we move towards a conclusion today, to those who said I'm supposed to be done by 11 o'clock. What do we, uh, what do we know about light? First of all, light needs to be seen. You'll notice that our passage says that a light that is put under a bushel basket, a light that is hidden, is not a light that can be seen. As followers of Jesus, we need to reflect his light because we've been touched by him. Secondly, lights guide us. One of the missions of the Coast Guard is called ATON, Aids to Navigation. And there are billions of dollars of traffic, of commerce that takes place in Puget Sound. And those ships are guided by navigational aids that to the uninitiated you may not even see, but in fact in Puget Sound there are 80 lighted and 30 unlighted and 65 shore aids to navigation. And the Coast Guard, and particularly the ship Henry Blake, is tasked with keeping those lights shining, those beacons burning, so that lights can guide the ships safely into port. And we, as the light of the world, are to guide others safely into port as well. We also see that lights warn us. Lights warn us. A number of years ago, I was a chaplain for a Marine Aviation Squadron, VMAQ-4. Most of you probably don't know what VMAQ-4 means. It's Marine Tactical Electronic Warfare Squadron 4. And their mission is what we call SEAD, or Suppression of Enemy Air Defenses. Uh, You want, in a battle zone, to be able to control the airspace. And this particular aircraft was jamming uh, the uh, radars uh, that would make life difficult for other friendly aircraft. And... uh, Our airplanes were out in this environment in Fallon, Nevada, where they have what they call, Navy calls Strike University. And they were flying, and uh, all of a sudden, one of our airplanes came in and landed from our squadron, and the crash fire rescue vehicles rushed to the aircraft, and we all that were in the hangar moved to the windows to see what was going on. And we discovered that um, a warning light had come on in the aircraft indicating an engine fire. And a prowler has two engines, and so the pilot was able to shut down the one engine and come back in on one engine and see if he could get the problem diagnosed. Sometimes we, who are to be to the light of the world, have warning lights go off in our lives. 
When you stop and think about it, you recognize that sometimes there's a, a warning light, a red warning light that comes on that says something isn't right in, my, in some part of my life. Relationship may be strained with parents or spouses or friends. Maybe there's a lot of arguing or looking forward to time apart instead of time together. Another warning light may be a little voice that says something I'm engaged in is not right. Perhaps your warning light is from pressures you're experiencing that seem to be pushing in from every side. You may feel you're barely coping as you look at that warning light going off in front of you. Friends, when warning lights go off in our lives, what what do we do? Well, when you're flying and an engine fire warning light comes on, you need to act immediately. You need to return to base and deal with the problem, and you may find the problem is a bulb that needs to be replaced, or you may find something significantly more. In the case of our aircraft, there wasn't an engine fire, but there was probably a short in the electrical system that they were able to fix. These warning lights in our lives are also a sign to us that we need to take immediate action. How we respond to these crises has a lot to do with those things in life that we value most. Jesus Christ makes it very clear what our priorities should be. He says in the great commandment, and say, say it with me if you, if you know it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's the priority. And our relationship with God and our relationship with others are the two most important things in our lives. As I said, sometimes in our own lives, we need to metaphorically change a bulb. Sometimes in our own lives, we need a major overhaul. But far better than having to deal with warning lights going off, whether it's in a military aircraft or in our own lives, is to do the preventative maintenance so that the light isn't going to go off to begin with. The Bible tells us the best maintenance schedule we can keep is to give careful attention to our relationship with God and with the other important people in our lives, our families, parents, spouses, friends, work associates. And in keeping with our text, sometimes we are called to function as warning lights. We need to be bold enough to share with those who are around us whose trajectory of life is leading them to a place that we know is going to have a bad ending. We have a responsibility to speak into their lives, but we need to do it with humility and kindness and above all love. And finally, this morning, a Being light results in good works that lead others to glorify God. Two Greek words in the New Testament that are used for good. One is just basically a transliteration, good. It's it's essentially the same kind of word that we have. The other word has a much uh, richer meaning, and it speaks not only of goodness, but something that is winsome and beautiful and attractive. Winsome beautiful and attractive. That's the kind of people we're supposed to be in our community. We're supposed to be contagious because we are people who are winsome, 
We are people who are attractive. You know, you sometimes think you need to observe somebody for a lifetime in order to understand their character. But I found over the years that I can learn a lot about someone's character by a snapshot of a moment in that person's life. Years ago, before the advent of most people traveling by air, a young man was tasked with picking up a missionary at the train station. And he asked his boss, he said, how will I know it's him? How will I know him? And the boss said, you'll know him because he'll be helping somebody off the train. And when you think about our lives, have you ever seen character revealed in someone in a moment, in a snapshot, by how they treat a server in a restaurant? or in returning incorrect change, or how they drive in traffic. These are getting a little closer to home. (laughs) Yesterday I was, uh, visited Steve and Joanne in the hospital and um, thought I could accomplish what I wanted to accomplish in terms of gift buying for Christmas in that local community there only to discover that what I was looking for wasn't available there, but I was assured that it was available in the Alderwood Mall area. Do you have any idea <laughs> what it's like at Alderwood Mall on a Saturday the week before Christmas? Not, not so much. Does our character show when driving in traffic? Does our character show in how we care for elderly parents? I am amazed at a number of families at North Sound whose spouses have developed dementia and to see the kind of care um, that their spouses are providing just amazes me in terms of their character and the fruit of their character now in older years and the sacrifices that they're making to care for them. Friends, as we leave here today, Let's remember that not only have we received the light from Jesus Christ, the light of the world, but we have been called ourselves to carry that forward and to be the light of the world. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, which itself is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. And Lord, I thank you that just as you have come into the world to be a light in the midst of darkness, so you would help us to fulfill our calling that we too, Lord, would be lights in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.